0: Hey, welcome to Woman Birders Happy Hour. I'm your host and mixologist, Hannah Bushart. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone who enjoys a good drink. Join me as I talk to women from around the world, from all walks of life, that enjoy birds too, about their experiences, what it's like to be a woman birder, and advice they have for others. I'll also have a different cocktail to share with you that pairs nicely with this chat. There are just so many ways for women to contribute to the wildlife and bird and nature community. And so I was really excited to talk with Megan Shearsby, who's the editorial and digital coordinator at the BBC Wildlife Magazine. The BBC Wildlife Magazine is a beautifully curated magazine uh, that's monthly and it's all about wildlife. And it's based in London, but they do talk about the whole entire world. It was launched in 1963 and has become a popular magazine worldwide. Megan is an avid writer, and she started with an occasional blog about her adventures, wildlife, and nature naturescaping. And she's not just a birder, but is interested in all wildlife. Megan mentions an experience she has visiting South America and seeing a Guianan cock-of-the-rock, which is just an incredible and beautiful bird. They are species of Katinga that is found in tropical rainforests near rocky outcroppings in the Guianan Shield, which consists of French Guiana, Suriname, Guyana, southern Venezuela, eastern Colombia, and northern Amazonian Brazil. The females are a brownish-dark-colored bird, and the males are bright orange with a heavy body and a half-moon crest that looks kind of like an orange slice on the top of their head. They feed mainly on fruit, but sometimes will eat small snakes and lizards. And during the mating season, males will display in leks, and females choose their mates based on the plumage and how a male conducts himself in the lek. And as mentioned, cock of the rocks are frugivores, and they prefer black and red fruits, the seeds of which uh, those fruits are passed through their system whole and undamaged, um, so they're capable of germinating when the bird defecates or regurgitates them. And it's thought that the cock of the rock plays an important role in seed dispersal of many different fruit trees in the tropical rainforest. And since males spend a lot of their time at lex and females nest um, near cliff sites, they tend to think that that's where a lot of these seeds are deposited and, you know, they are helping forest the rainforest. And they're a pretty common species in their range, and they're listed as a species of least concern. And it's definitely a species that's on my bucket list. So your Guyana and Cock of the Rock is based on a Venezuelan drink called the Guarapita. It's a delicious fruit and rum punch. And so your ingredients are going to be one shot of rum, half a cup guava juice, half a cup orange juice, a tablespoon of grenadine, juice from half a lime, mint leaves, and ice. And this can be made as a mocktail by just leaving out the rum. So to make it, it's pretty simple. Uh, First, you'll want to muddle mint leaves in the bottom of a glass and then fill that glass with ice, pour in the guava and orange juice, rum, grenadine, and then juice that lime. Give it a stir, garnish with an orange slice and a mint sprig, and there you go. You've got your beautiful orange fruit cocktail that would be a perfect drink to celebrate seeing such a magnificent bird. So grab whatever you've got to drink, whether it's this cocktail that we've made for this episode, coffee, wine, water, or something else for another interview with an amazing woman birder. I hope it inspires you. I hope it educates you. And I hope that it helps us work together to build an even better birding community that's supportive and accepting of all. And please enjoy this happy hour. Okay, well, thank you, Megan, so much for uh, joining me from um you're in england right you're what part of england are you in
1: so i'm currently in bristol which is the southwest area of england and the uk
0: okay awesome um yeah eric and i have only been to london for a very brief time and birded hyde park which was pretty exciting (laughs) but we'll definitely have to get out there and bird a lot more
1: so please tell us about yourself So I work for BBC Wildlife magazine as their editorial and digital coordinator. I've actually not come to the job through the traditional route of a journalism degree or a science communication degree, but from a zoology background, I actually worked as a zookeeper before I went to university. And I've worked for a few different wildlife charities in the UK doing environmental education, um, mostly plus a bit of membership recruitment as well. Cool. And a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not really a birder. I'm more of a naturalist. I like birds, but they're not my favorite. I like everything. (laughs) So what's your favorite then? I just, I can't choose. At a push, I'd probably go butterflies and moths. Is there a pretty big like,
0: uh, lepping
1: community in uh, the UK? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we don't have a huge number of species compared to some countries, um, in part because of our geographic location with the ch- channel and then the North Sea separating us from mainland Europe. So it's a bit harder for some species to get over here, apart from the ones that migrate regularly. And we've lost a few species um, to extinction in the UK, and some of them are coming back, um, some are coming back with help from humans, um, but there's a few more that might come back naturally, hopefully. But there's a, yeah, it's a big community, weirdly split, because I always think it's such a st- strange situation that butterflies are considered separate to moths, because they're basically, to me they butterflies are just a colorful, group of moths. <laughs> um, but we have quite a few and I actually reached a fun milestone this year because I saw my 50th species of butterfly in the UK. Wow, that's
0: awesome. So like, what would, like, what's a good number then? Is 50 a good
1: number? Yeah, so we have 59 breeding species. Wow. And I've seen 49 of those. And then the other one that I saw was the large tortoise shell, which used to be a breeding species and bred on the isle of portland endorsed dorset last year and then emerged as adults this year so they might be coming back which is very exciting
0: <laughs> that's really cool i didn't even realize that mothing or lepping you know was a thing until i moved to south texas and all these people were looking at butterflies and it's like oh i had no idea that people did this for fun
1: ever gone moth trapping I, I've gone uh, like black lighting before. Okay, so I've got a moth trap here that I put out in my garden. Hopefully I don't disturb my neighbors too much because it's a mercury vapor lamp and it's so bright. You kind of need sunglasses to look at it. And, uh, that's great fun. That's I, I love doing it. Um, although summer can be a bit, uh, not the best word for it's difficult because you get a lot of moths. And if you want to do anything else that morning, you basically can't. You just have to sit and sort through all the moths.
0: <laughs> That's cool. So how did you get started into your your love of wildlife and, and, you know, as a naturalist?
1: Well, it's always been there, really, for me. I remember doing the RSPB Big Garden Bird Watch when I was small, um, you know, sitting at the bedroom window, looking down at the garden and recording what wildlife well, what birds, but occasionally you'd see something else as well. Um, and I remember doing that with my parents. I have just kind of always been there. I've just always loved animals. Um, and it was only when I did my placement year for, at university and I was with the field studies council teaching kids about the outdoors that I really realized that there's a lot more to wildlife than just animals, and more than just birds and mammals. You know, there's um, small pond creatures, and beautiful orchids, and there's just so much to explore. So it's kind of, yeah, it's just always been there. I've, I think I remember um, I got labeled in the class yearbook as a tree hugger. And I I just found that really odd because I was like, doesn't everyone love wildlife and hugging trees and wanting to save the planet? That's funny.
0: Um, Yeah, I think a lot of us probably, were minorities in our, our, you know, social circles and things for, for that. I know I definitely thought, you know, I was so cool being a tree hugger when I was a kid. And then it's like nobody else thought that was cool. But now like, you know, there's this whole community of other people that do think that's cool and you just have to find your community, I guess.
1: Yeah. I'm really fortunate that my parents, although they're not naturalists as such, but they love wildlife and they love going outdoors. So we would go on holiday to Wales and Devon and Cornwall. And so they'd point out things to me, maybe not always knowing what they were, I can't can't really remember. Um, to be honest. But they would point out things and we'd look at them and we'd walk up mountains and go to the beach. And I remember one time we found this giant jellyfish washed up on the beach. I mean, to me it was giant, because I was maybe six at the time or something. It probably was something quite small. Mm. Um, And I remember my dad getting a big group of people together to try and push it back into the sea, Mm. in case, well, I think they i think it was still alive so i think they were trying to help it get back and yeah just the wildlife in the outdoors has always been there for me so
0: you said you work with the bbc wildlife magazine so how is um birding and you know naturalism how is that part of your profession
1: so it kind of comes into it every day really because i'm writing or reading about wildlife every single day. And I'm drawing on my knowledge for ex- that of conservation issues or facts about an animal, stuff that I've learned on the job, stuff that I knew already as well. And then I'm very fortunate that we do get to go on trips sometimes for work. And so that is naturally very exciting. and I. Mm trying um well when we get when when i go to a new country i'm obviously seeing new birds but even i went on a trip to devon last year and i saw a new bird for me there which was really exciting
0: that is super cool so are a lot of the other um professionals you work with are they wildlife enthusiasts or did they come through the journalism tract and are having to like now learn wildlife
1: it's a mix. We all love wildlife, obviously. We wouldn't work on the magazine. There's definitely a crossover in my life. All my books are wildlife related, my board games are wildlife related, all my magazine, other magazine subscriptions are wildlife related, all my decorations are wildlife related. <laughs> Everyone's, you know, really knowledgeable about um, wildlife and environmental issues
0: so if someone were to kind of follow in um a similar or try try to get a similar position to yours like what sorts of things should they do to um to get to that position to best prepare themselves
1: so if they're coming from a zoology um and naturalist sort of background it's about making Small steps. So for example, for me, I started writing my own blog, which I haven't touched now for about two years, which I feel a bit awful about, Um, But I also started contributing to internal newsletters at conservation organizations that I worked for and started helping with the social media and then the external newsletters and magazines. Uh, in the UK, there's a group called A Focus on Nature, which is for young people under 30 in the UK, um, in the nature profession. And I wrote a few blog posts for them, but then I got onto the committee and looked after their blog and their social media. So it was all gradual steps, just getting a bit of experience here, a bit of experience there, alongside what I was already doing. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's really interested in getting into publishing, both BBC Wildlife and BBC Countryfile magazines do have work experience placements, obviously all on hold at the moment, because we're not in the office. But work experience is a really good um, opportunity as well, not just at magazines, but say in science, in the communications department of a charity, even if it's not, somewhere that's wildlife based, it will give you experience and the practice.
0: That's, that's a really good tip. Um, yeah. So like volunteering for some of these organizations, doing some, like I've heard that a lot from, um, different folks on the shows, you know, volunteering can always help. And that's a different way to volunteer that if you can't necessarily go out and like commit your time, but helping, like write newsletters. I I know that I have written so many newsletters for different organizations because nobody wants to do it. And that's a good first step in, especially if you like writing. Yeah, Um, absolutely. What has been your most memorable bird?
1: Oh, yep. I was dreading this question. (laughs) It's really hard to choose. I'd say from this year, I'm just going to focus on this year for now. Okay. Um, just after lockdown here was starting to lift, I twitched a bird nearby and I'm not exactly sure of the pronunciation, I think it's called gold or prating gold. Okay. I'm sure someone will uh, reply to the tweet that you put out when this is published and go, actually it's re- said like this, <laughs> which would be really <laughs> helpful actually. <laughs> Um that bird that's normally found in southern Europe in flocks but one ended up near Bristol just after the lockdown was lifted here so we went to see that and it's such a pretty bird so that was really nice um that's really cool i'd say also so last year i got the amazing opportunity to go to guyana in south america for work wow which was it was just mind-blowing. And we saw the Ghanaian cock of the rock. We only saw a male, but he's the pretty one, really. He's bright orange, and he has this weird crest that goes down over his beak. And it looks so odd. You think, how on earth did nature come up with that? I mean, really. Um, and you're walking through this rainforest, and this was actually near Kaita, or Kaita, again, I'm not sure of pronunciation, it's been a while, Falls, which is this amazing, huge waterfall. And the rainforest is a little bit gloomy, because the the trees cover all of the sky above you. Mm -hmm. And then you just see this bright orange spot in, in amongst all the trees, and you think, that is so bright you know it's just it's the one we saw wasn't really doing anything just kind of sat there but um apparently they do let, so all the males get together and show off in case there's a female nearby but it was just the one this time
0: well that's super cool that's and that's an amazing experience that you got to go there for work i
1: wish my <laughs> work would send me places <laughs> like that <laughs> i um ended up writing a feature not about birds but about arapaima which is this ridiculously long species of fish in fact the scientists think there's at least five of these species but they're not really sure because they're in such remote places it's really hard to actually work out how many species there are where they are and their different behaviors so they're working on the taxonomy still but they reckon there's at least five but they grow up to three meters in length wow that's a big fish. It's just, I mean, that's double my height, which, yeah, I just couldn't get my head around it. Even when I saw one, I didn't see one that big and I only saw it briefly. Even then I was just like, how, how do you exist?
0: <laughs> we um, we had alligator gar in South Texas where we were at and a lot of people would like catch them and, you know, they would either um, haul them out of the park that I worked at or they would just kind of leave them on the bank um, because they wouldn't necessarily be going for that and so they just leave it there and those are just giant fish i i agree i don't know how fish can grow up to that size it's ridiculous
1: yeah i've had um had a lot about guys because i follow solomon david on twitter and he's always posting about them and i'm like they sound so cool i want to see one
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you'll have to do that sometime (laughs) maybe go out with him (laughs) He would be a, a
1: ton of fun to go hang out with
0: So what influences have you had in your birding and your profession?
1: I've been really lucky that I've had some amazing people that I've worked with or become friends with, both through the Focus on Nature network and through my jobs as well. There's been a couple of people. So my last editor, so she left last year um, and our new editor replaced her. And I've had to thank for giving me this job. Obviously, I have myself to thank as well because she wouldn't have picked me if I wasn't qualified. But she saw the fact that I didn't have much experience in terms of writing, but she saw that I had the potential and so took me on and has helped me progress. And then Our new editor Paul helped me progress further so I'm really lucky with the people I work with on the magazine they've been really supportive of me and my writing Annie because I'm not gonna lie my grammar and spelling and general feature planning can be quite I wouldn't go as far as saying awful but it's not great (laughs) and sometimes my features need to be you know the paragraphs need to get moved around a bit to make make them flow much better and that's um something I'm still learning about doing and then yeah I've just had just been really fortunate to work with amazing people that have all been really supportive So I think for a lot of people watching David Attenborough programs was a big influence Mm -hmm. but I actually can't really remember watching them I must have but I just don't have a clear memory of doing so but I did get to meet him once a few years ago, which was really exciting. And I got to shake his hand and I managed to make him laugh. So <laughs> that was very cool.
0: <laughs> That's an amazing experience. He's he's definitely one of my heroes and I hope I get to meet him someday. He seems like a very nice person.
1: He was so lovely. I mean, the fact that, yeah, he took the time to talk to a few people. This was, I think, at the end of a conference and he took the time to talk to a few people before he left and yeah I managed to talk to him and I was just like I was just, I was all basically I was like oh my gosh you know it's David um, So I'm never gonna forget that even if I've forgotten exactly where it took place
0: uh, that's amazing. So what advice would you have for other women looking to get into, um, you know, working as a naturalist or in the sort of career that you have, or just doing it as a hobby?
1: I mean, just get out there. Even if it's just going into your garden and, you know, having a closer look at what's in your garden, you know, just today I found uh, a shield bug nymph in my compost bin. So I moved it to a safer spot where it's not gonna get too hot. And it, it's really surprising just how much is out there that sometimes we just don't notice. And keep, yeah, keep your eyes open for things that aren't birds as well, because it's not all about the birds and the mammals. There are really cool things as well. Um, I mean, I'm biased towards insects, but there's lots of nice flowers and trees as well to take a look at and the more you start learning about things and how they're all connected it just builds up this amazing picture of the world I think
0: yeah that's and great.
1: then don't be afraid to ask for help as well I think some people can be a bit overwhelmed you know when you're joining a community that's so big and there's so much to learn it can be a bit overwhelming to ask for help and say actually I don't know what this is or I know what this is but I don't know what it's doing right now what is this weird behavior is it weird or is it a normal behavior most of the birding and naturalist community are welcoming and so happy to help and really thrilled that you're interested so whether it's in a Facebook group or on Twitter, or you're in a WhatsApp group or something, just don't be afraid to say, I, I don't know. Can someone help me? Because we all started there. I think sometimes some of the really experienced birders and naturalists can forget that basic point of not knowing. And if If you are slightly dismissive of someone not knowing something relatively basic, then then that that might turn them off forever. And I don't want that, I want everyone to feel welcome and to be fascinated by the natural world.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And thank you so much for all you guys do at BBC World magazine to get people excited about some of these different things and you know get a chance to, to take us to Guyana and those places that we might not otherwise be able to go visit. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention that we didn't get to or where can people find out more about you and what you do?
1: I'm trying to think of anything else we've not mentioned. Um, I mean people are, feel free to subscribe to the magazine. <laughs> um, we have a print magazine and We also have an app if you prefer to do it digitally, but we're on all the social medias as well. discoverwildlife.com. I'm also on social media, but um, I will admit that half of my pictures are of my cat, who is beautiful and is deserving of so many pictures being shared. For non-cat lovers, that might be a bit boring. I think that pretty much covers everything. I mean, I could just talk forever about wildlife and birds and the environment but that would make for a long podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed talking to you. And, and, you know, it's it's fun to hear about all the different experiences that you've had.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much, Megan, for joining me for this episode. It was a pleasure to speak with you, and it's so interesting to learn about how print magazines work and ways in which others can pursue a career like yours. I know writing is something that I'm definitely fascinated with, and I really, um, I really am inspired by people who do it well and and you know can put together an amazing magazine like the BBC Wildlife Magazine. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe you learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me on the socials, please follow me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you at the next Happy Hour.